This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let's go back in time to 1932 as Congress brings you historic footage of the legendary original Celtics with whom all great professional teams are compared. We have now taken over your radio. Richie Guerin is about to show you the most important step in getting past a man. It's the first one. And Oscar will inbound it. The men in green, the Milwaukee Bucks, that's Al Cinder against Bellamy. Hello and welcome back to the Over and Back Classic NBA Podcast. I am Jason Mann and joining me as usual is Rich Krejci. Rich, great to be back with you. Absolutely, yes. Uh, this is a fun little topic we got here, and it, nobody cares about me. It's our special guest that people care about. Nobody. I mean, all right. Well, I'm just along for the ride. Well, I'm just going to listen. So I'm, I'm going to check out and then just let you guys talk. So all right, we'll just skip over for you then. Our special guest. Our our special guest is uh, returning to the program, Curtis Harris of ProHoopsHistory.com. Curtis, welcome back, sir. Hey, good to be back. Is Curtis officially our, our our most frequent guest at this point? Uh, yeah, I I think he I think so. Um, it's like Adam would, Adam Kirby is close. I would hope so, just for the fact that I've been on so often. It'd be hard to imagine someone else. <laughs> that that so. is true. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I have we'll have to we'll have to get the totals uh, here uh, later, yeah. and we'll you know we'll uh, we'll cross reference and we'll let everyone know in, in because in the some people are going to cheat by doing the top fifty shows. You know, we did like four today. You know, they were like half an hour or whatever. So you know, some people. They got kind of fat on those, so I don't know. Uh, tough. That's a tough call. We'll, we'll, we'll have to we'll table that, and we'll uh, we'll we'll go forward. We'll figure that Just out a, later. Yeah. Purely quality. If we're gonna, you know, make uh, if we're gonna make an over and back Hall of Fame based on like quality and, and actually have criteria or whatever, Curtis would definitely be a a, a, a first ballot Hall. Of I, I would I would definitely have to agree with that. So that that was a nice uh, first ballot guest Hall of Famer. Yes, uh, that was a nice segue, Rich. I oh yeah, appreciate that. What are we talking about? So <laughs> what are we doing today? I don't know. So I we're to... talking about. Um, we're talking about the uh, the Basketball Hall of Fame, talking about uh, a little bit of background about it, uh, talking about some ideas for fixing the Hall of Fame, ideas for just creating a brand new NBA Hall of Fame, um, 
So this is sort of a, you know, we're obviously all enthusiasts of basketball history here. Uh, the uh, the Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame has a few problems to uh, to put it mildly. Um, they do try to uh, encompass all the different um, levels of uh, basketball. Um, college, of course, international. Uh, they honor a lot of a lot of coaches and a lot of contributors, and um, they do honor players, but um, the level in which the NBA and the other major pro leagues have been honored as compared to contributors for colleges um, and so forth. Maybe that ratio is a little bit off. So we're just going to kind of get into uh, some of the um, some of the issues with the Hall of Fame and some things that maybe we could do to improve it or just scrap it all together and form a new one. So Curtis, we'll start with you. What do you think is the biggest problem with the current Basketball Hall of Fame? Uh, I would say the biggest problem that's the easiest to fix is the voting process. Um, it's, I mean, you got to kind of read the rules over like four or five times to fully understand how somebody gets elected. But then we don't know who's voting on the on the uh, people getting elected into the Hall of Fame or what the final vote tally was. They just like announce like, oh, this is who got in. We don't say who the vote tally was, who voted on it. It's just surprise. These are the people that got in. So I think that would do a lot, just cleaning up the process, making it more transparent, and also having more people vote on it. Um, I forget the number. I think the committee is only nine people. Yeah, like the, the main committee, the North American committee, is only nine people. So, like, you're really going to tell me, like, only nine people have to the vote to decide who gets into the Hall of Fame? Seems a little ridiculous. Yeah, and that's compared to the uh, the Football Hall of Fame has a 46-member uh, selection committee. Uh, the Hockey Hall of Fame has an 18-person selection committee. Um, and then, um, Rich, do you know how many are in the uh, baseball? I don't. It, it's kind of fluid because they don't, it, you know, in terms of transparency, I know that they're not quite as transparent as some of these other guys. Like, you'll get a ton of ballots that come in. As far as, uh, I think... It's somewhere in the 400 range, if I okay. remember correctly. I don't yeah, know the exact it, number because I know I know over 300 plus like gave their ballots out. Like 300 plus writers this year, you know, when they, the vote just happened a few weeks ago, gave their ballots out. So I know that those were came out. I, I don't know if they have an exact number though. I'll try to see if I can find okay. that. But but it, uh, it is the, the, like, the point. It's up. It's, it's somewhere between 300 and 400, if I believe, if I remember correctly. Yeah. So. so the point is, it's a very large number. <laughs> it's it's of, more than nine. Yeah. It's more than nine exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I think there's two issues. There, one is just a very small number of people making that um, decision and the the lack of transparency where, you know, you can say what you want about the Baseball Hall of Fame, but we know, you know, how close the players come to making it into the Hall of Fame or how many votes they get it. You know, we we know the percentages of, um, you know, what they get. So it gives you incentive to sort of track their progress to sort of do extra research to sort of make your case publicly. And it, it leads to interesting debates and, and thoughts and also very tiresome debates and thoughts. But I, I mean, I think part of the interest in a hall of fame is just, um, you know, trying to figure out, you know, who is worthy and trying to figure out like, you know, what, um, you know, what is valuable, what people value, um, what is interesting about the player. I think it leads to a whole lot of conversation. So I think that that's part of, you know, that, that that's part of the whole thing. So when you make the process, you know, so secretive and 
seemingly kind of arbitrary as far as who gets in and who doesn't get in. Um, I think that's just a turnoff in interest in the Hall of Fame, if nothing else. Yeah, my, my one of my biggest gripes uh, with with the current Hall of Fame and, and and going through in this podcast and looking in terms of like who's in, uh, I don't know if there's necessarily like a ton of players that I think th- there are quite a few, but I don't think it's like this you know egregious amount of players that are left out or whatever. But I think that's one of the problems that there seems like there's just so many guys in there and so many players and so many teams and referees and coaches. It's just so bloated at that point. And it, it it you know of course it, that's going to happen because it's the basketball Hall of Fame. It's not you know the professional baseball Hall of Fame. So the professional football hall of fame is it encompasses all the basketball but you still just look at, at at the the history of it and how many guys are in there i mean look at the baseball hall of fame you know we mentioned that just a little bit earlier there's 310 players um or, or 215 players uh, in the baseball hall of fame 28 executives you know three uh 35 negro league players 22 managers and 10 umpires so in, in total there's 310 you know, inductees into the Baseball Hall of Fame. And then you look at the Basketball Hall of Fame and, you know, it's it, the name, the numbers escape. Right it, now. I think it's, um, it's 361 total in the Hall of Fame. And, and yeah, that's right. Yes. And of those, 171 are players. So roughly half of those are in there just just for any kind of playing career. And about a little more than 100 are in, you know, merit that based or, or you know, played in the NBA mm-hmm. or ABA or, or BAA or NBL. And probably 90% of those players you would say would be would be um, good candidates for an NBA Hall of Fame. Sure. So, but you still look at just the run. I mean, you look at baseball, which has got you know centuries of history on it. And there's 310 guys, you know, total in, in there. And then in bas- you know, this basketball hall of fame, you have 361. And that, and of course, yeah, that is like I said, going to happen when you have all the different facets of the game and and college and high school and all that sort of stuff. But it's still, it's just, it seems so big and so there's just seems like there's so the numbers so high and it's just it's hard to get emotionally invested in a guy getting in there. It's just kind of like yeah, okay, like you're a guy or, or or you know male or female in there just because it seems like there's just so many and that's always been my perception as a kid is it was like I would see these big classes come in or I would see you know every five years just a 20 30 40 people getting in and and, you know in the baseball hall of fame at the same time I get kind of angry when there's guys that I like that don't get in or whatever but there's still some fun to that that of like okay there's actually like a a threshold to try to get in it's actually a little bit harder to get in and and that goes you know that that coincides with the transparency as well of like okay I know that Tim Raines like he's a guy that I've I've I, I'm just shocked he's not in the Baseball Hall of Fame yet. He's a guy that I followed his progress for the last 10 years of him just getting slowly and slowly there or whatever. But that's kind of the fun of it is that like, okay, you know, Tim Raines I think is is deserving. He's not quite there yet. So let's make a case. Let's have people argue. Let's have guys like Jonah Carey who does great stuff every single year. Uh, he almost wrote an entire Expos book based off, you know, trying to get Tim Raines' case there a little bit more. And that's fun to me. Whereas the Basketball Hall of Fame, there's just never that. There's never to me ever been sort of an argument. And I think part of that is the fact that it's too bloated and part of that is, as Curtis said, the transparency just it really kills it for me so what um so how would we if we were going if we were just gonna like hey we just we want to just make this basketball hall of fame better and have it be, be balanced toward players and specifically for um nba or other pro league accomplishments like what would we want to change about that uh voting process curse we'll let you go first uh well I guess I'll take an expansive answer on this, uh, but I think just expanding the number of voters would, would do very good on improving the Hall of Fame. Uh, having the ballots be public would also be very good because it would kind of spur more debate amongst people. I think it would get more interest in the Hall of Fame. 
because uh, I think it's not necessarily the the size of the induct the size of the inductee classes into the basketball hall of fame. It's just that people really don't know the process and can't get invested in the process. Um, it's only like they announced uh, the finalists. Uh, I think at the NCAA Final Four, like it's like all right, these are the people who have are. Um, yeah, it's like they announced the finalists for NCAA Final Four. Then they announced like the people who got elected. I think at the end of the the Final Four, March Madness. And then you got to wait till September for the inductee for the induction to take place. So I feel like they just do a really bad job, also of kind of, um, I guess, organizing the induction schedule, uh, lack of a better term, because like the NBA season's from very late October through mid June. But they announce the Hall of Fame stuff around the uh, March Madness, and then they don't induct people until September, and it really just doesn't fit with the NBA schedule, I don't think. So, I think something else they could do to improve it would be to kind of more organize it around the NBA schedule, like maybe have the Hall of Fame inductions the first week of the NBA season, or right after the NBA Finals takes place, more kind of more hitch to the NBA season. I think would get it more attention. Yeah, uh, maybe. that's one thought I have. I, I have plenty of other ones, but that's one I think is really good for them to try. Yeah, the uh, I, I think the All Star Weekend would seems like a nice that that would be kind of a nice time to um, to do that. Uh, I mean, you you already have a lot of the you know the pro players are there. I guess a lot of them are on vacation. So as far as getting guys to attend ceremonies, I mean, you wouldn't need all of all active NBA players to attend the ceremony anything like that. But you'd want you know some of the notable names to be there. But yeah, September just does seem like a really um, that there's very little interest in, in the NBA in September. That just seemed or at any level of basketball really in September just does seem sort of like an odd choice to um, to link it to that. I mean, having the announcements at March Madness does make some sense because it's obviously a time in which a lot of people are um, are watching basketball. So but uh, but yeah, I, I do think that is another issue of just like it's not necessarily a a, a well marketed Hall of Fame. No, it's not. I have many thoughts on marketing is a good term. I have many thoughts on their marketing um, of the Hall of Fame. It's uh, it's not the best. Um, something I was thinking of, like the NFL, they do like the the NFL Hall of Fame game. It's like why doesn't the NBA have like a Hall of Fame basketball game? That's why I was thinking the um, like the first week of the season. Like just have like a two NBA teams go play somewhere near Springfield, Massachusetts. I don't they have a gym that they don't have a gym. There's NBA quality, but like them, there's a university in Springfield. So like having to play at the university and just be like, whatever. This one opening night of the season, we're gonna have a basketball game in Springfield to kind of jazz up the Hall of Fame induction, get people to notice it. Because um, like that, that's just something very simple. I think they could do that would help boost uh, just interest in the Hall of Fame. Uh, there's lots of other things they can do, but that one's another little no-brainer, I think. But the NBA just doesn't do it, so uh, it's unfortunate, I think. Yeah, and uh, that's actually kind of one of the problems that I, you know, we were talking about the marketing, is that nobody seems to own it, or nobody seems to really take it under their wing. You know, college basketball, it's just kind of like, yeah, there's a Hall of Fame, it's kind of cool. And, like, the NBA is kind of the same way, too. It's just like, yeah, there, there's a basketball Hall of Fame, and, but, like, you don't hear anything about it, guys don't really talk about it. It's it's very, like, you know, I, I remember this last past year when they uh, some of the guys were, were announced or inducted or whatever, you know, on NBA TNT, they would just kind of mention them, uh, you know, in, in passing on a pregame show, and that was it. It was like, that's it, that's for the Hall of Fame or whatever, and it's just like, there's just somebody and that's kind of I think one of the issues with it being a, an all-encompassing basketball hall of fame which again I'm okay with but it also becomes an issue of you know who owns this who really takes an investment in this because your big powers the NCAA and the NBA 
don't really have a strong investment in it. I mean, they kind of they'll mention it and they do some stuff for it, but there's just not that same, you know, baseball and MLB is the baseball Hall of Fame. They will promote that to death. The NFL, the football Hall of Fame, they will promote that. But you, you just don't get that same level with either the N- NBA or the NCAA. Neither one of them seem to really take any um, ownership of it. Yeah, I would. I mean, that's that's one of my big recommendations, too, is like I'm I'm like you, Rich, like I'm fine with having an all encompassing Hall of Fame, but I would prefer if it was split into like the college amateur Hall of Fame and then like a professional Hall of Fame. I think that's I think that's a division that should be made. Um, And I I think men and women should be in both of those Hall of Fames, like have, you know, men and women amateur Hall of Fame, men and women professional Hall of Fame. But it does need to be split between pro and amateur. Uh, I agree. I I think that would go a long way toward helping the NBA do a good job promoting the Hall of Fame. Would you keep them in the same spot, or would you maybe move the NCAA one to or, or the amateur uh, one to a different place? Do you think it's kind of cool being in the same place, or? I don't know. That's a good question. I hadn't thought that far. Um, I, I think there's a stronger case to have the amateur Hall of Fame stay in Springfield uh, than the NBA Hall of Fame could be in a a more well traveled or not the NBA. I would say professional. I don't think there should be an NBA Hall of Fame, uh, but like a pro- professional Hall of Fame with generous NBA support uh, should be located in a more <laughs> you know, traveled area, because I think that's another problem with the Hall of Fame is uh, like Canton, Ohio. It's not exactly, you know, it's not a big city, but it's easy for lots of people to still get to Canton, Ohio. Uh, and the baseball Hall of Fame's in, um, you know, just north of New Cooperstown. York City. Yeah. yeah. So it's like still, you know, it's not a huge town, but it's still easy to get to for a lot of people. Whereas the basketball Hall of Fame is, you know, it's up in Springfield. I've been there and it's, you know, the nearest airports, <laughs> nearest airports in Connecticut, like it's, it's like a 45 minute drive from the airport to get to Springfield. Like there's just nothing around there. So uh, that's another huge problem they have, just the geography, uh, the situation. Uh, but yeah, I, anyway, sum it up. I think the amateur hall of fame should probably be in Springfield pro hall of fame should probably be somewhere close, I guess. Um, maybe New York city or Los Angeles. Well, not Los Angeles. I don't think that's a good idea. Uh, yeah. Probably New York city. Uh, yeah, I, I've heard Los Angeles brought up, which I mean, I guess from like, there's a marketing standpoint that makes sense, but from it, you know, like, yeah, I, I think New York makes a lot more sense as far as history of the game, you know, kind of goes. Um, yeah, I mean, there are actually, I believe that, I mean, there's a, there's definitely a college, there's a college basketball hall of fame. There's a women's um, basketball hall of fame. I, I mean, almost every level except for the NBA pros has a hall of fame of its own. In addition to the basketball hall of fame, the, the, the NBA is the one that doesn't have one, which I, yeah. I, I find interesting. I, I wonder, like, you know, why the NBA hasn't, you know, ever really seriously considered um, doing that. If it's just like a Hall of Fames don't make much money or if there's just they just don't want to, you know, basketball Hall of Fame is good enough. They don't, they're fine with, you know, kind of dipping their toe in and using it a little bit, but, you know, don't really want to, you know, deal with those headaches. Uh, probably a combination of those things. Yeah, I think the NBA, NBA just sucks at dealing with its history. Um, <laughs> But to be honest with it, like football and baseball do a much better job of like recognizing their history and kind of promoting it. Um, I mean, even not the way too deep into the, in the weeds here, but like you you still have like vestiges of the NFL and MLB histories because like you have the national league and the American league. So like you realize like there were once two leagues that merged to like form major league baseball. And same goes for the NFL. We got like the, the AFC and the NFC. So that's still like a reminder that there were once two leagues. And so you still have, that kind of vestige of what was going on beforehand, but the NBA did like kind of just wipes clean, like any 
any facet or um, any evidence that there was another league uh, or other leagues once upon a time. Uh, like, and the only reminder that was constant, I think, was like the ABA basketball as a three-point contest. Then they even got rid of that in the last like five years. So they they just like kind of just move on too quickly, I think, which is really unfortunate. Um, and that kind of plays into why the, the basketball Hall of Fame isn't that um, isn't that well promoted or well argued over uh, by people in the media, and how the NBA TV even just kind of passes over the basketball mm-hmm. thing. Yeah, I mean, they, they, I remember, you know, they, they do generally show the induction, but, um, you know, as far as it getting much play there, I, I, yeah. I always kind of feel like it, um, it, it's sort of underwhelming. Um, so if, if we were going to start a Hall of Fame, a, a, an NBA Hall of Fame or a pro Hall of Fame, or, you know, if we were in charge of this endeavor, like, how, do you think you'd want to go about doing it? What is, what are some things that you consider really important in establishing for a new hall of fame? Well, I haven't, like the only criteria I could think of was just like for a professional hall of fame, it's just simply, did you play professional basketball? And then after that list, let's, let's, let's just decide whether you were good enough to be in the hall of fame or important enough to be in the hall of fame. Um, and I'll say personally, I'm, I think I'm relatively low on that threshold. Like I'm in favor of a, of a big hall of fame, I guess you can say, because um, I guess kind of the way I think of it is a hall of fame kind of falls along the line of like the spectrum. It can either be like the shrine hall of fame where like you think only like the untouchables, like the best and the absolute best, only the absolute greatest get to be in there. And you think like it should just be very constricted. Whereas on the other end, it's kind of like a less of a hall of fame like a strict Hall of Fame, more of like a, a museum, a history place to go to to learn about basketball. And uh, you probably aren't surprised by this, but I think it should be more toward the history aspect where the more players you have in the Hall of Fame, the better job you'll do of telling the history of basketball instead of having to be a shrine to like these mythical figures. And like just kind of, I think when that happens, it kind of uh, overshadows a lot of important stories and a lot of important aspects. And I, I don't like that to happen. So that's why I'm in favor of a bigger Hall of Fame. Yeah. Um, what about you, Rich? Uh, I think the biggest things for me, uh, you know, if I was starting it is, and I sort of agree, I, I like an exclusive sort of club, but when I say exclusive, I don't mean like, I don't want like the top 50 and that's it. But I think one where there's at least some sort of, cause right now I just, you know, I mean, there, there's some somewhat of a stated criteria to get into the basketball hall of fame, but it's very vague. It's very kind of, and, and again, like when you don't know who's voting for it, you don't know what those people value or whatever, you don't, it's, it's so hard to figure out. So I think the biggest thing that I would do is kind of, I'm not saying you have to have a hard and fast sort of criteria for, for getting in, but I think having some sort of, you, you know, some transparency in terms of what it takes to be a Hall of Famer. And that could come in, you know, if you make an initial class, say say I'm starting and I'm making an initial class or whatever, you sort of, I think in a way, kind of set a standard in some ways with that initial class and go, okay, here's kind of the guys that that we're looking at or here's, you know, the the, the, the teams or the history or the coaches or whatever. And, and, and then you get sort of an idea then, okay, these are sort of, that's the threshold to, to get in. And I think that's the biggest part uh, that'd be important to me is just having it it's just having some idea or some concept or some just something that 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 it seems not exclusive, but it's that it's it's something more than just being, you know, a, a famous basketball player in, in, in some way. I think Curtis's thing as well. I think historics is is a very, very important part of it as well. And having influence and importance to the game is just as 
important as being a really good player, winning a bunch of titles, being a co- the winningest coach of all time, being, you know, making the NBA finals a bunch of times, MVPs, all-star. I think it is important as well to also have that the other side as well, that influence and importance to the game is just as important. But I think the biggest thing I would do is sort of rehaul the voting and who votes. And I think a lot more people. If I was choosing, I would have a lot more people. It would be way more transparent. I would have, you know, writers, um, all you know, a, a number of, of basketball writers write for it. I would have old NBA players uh, do it as well. Uh, fans, I would probably keep fans out of it just because they're kind of dumb. Yeah, <laughs> always, no, no, I feel no, like they're no, always no, going to no. screw up. Like we see all star. I mean, I just don't trust fans to ever because then it's just going to get a weird thing where like they decide, oh, let's vote in Zaza Pachulia, and then like then you know like two yeah. million people are voting in yeah. Zaza Pachulia, I mean, and it's like okay, yeah. like. Maybe let's not do that. So, but like, you know, you can uh, no fans, but I think writers, um, NBA players, and then uh, uh, I guess writers and media you could put in there too because I think a lot of the TV guys that do it are, are well worth it as well. And then you know maybe yeah. maybe members of the Hall of Fame at that point could vote in. But just I think transparency and then having a set criteria, not and I don't mean like there's thresholds, but exactly of of just having an idea of what it takes to be a basketball hall of famer and having that be something that's special versus what it is now, which is just kind of like, I don't know. Does anybody really get a huge benefit by being a basketball hall of famer? I I don't know. I don't know if we really think of that guy. Oh, he's a hall of famer and he's not. So, you know, this guy is obviously more, you know, I I don't think we have that right now. I really don't. Yeah. I, I, um, one thing about, I think the NBA or basketball in general, that's, um, different from, um, other sports and, and Curtis alluded to this is that its history has not been well promoted. So like I've been more in my life, more toward a felt like I like a more exclusive hall of fame, but, but as I've, as I've gotten older, I've sort of changed that a little bit and just sort of like to appreciate the history and, and appreciate just um, the stories and appreciate uh, the contributions and all that. Not, it, not as worried about you know, specific greatness, and, and I do think in in basketball's case and in the NBA's case, um, there are periods of um, history that are not that well known that occurred, you know, before the league became popular enough to kind of be you know um, ensconced in popular culture. Where you know baseball has, I mean, it obviously grew as the country grew, but. It's um, like I don't feel like there's a particular gap of years in history where baseball is not well represented. Um, I imagine football is some is, is somewhat similar, although I know it, it obviously its growth kind of came later. So there may be there might be a gap in there. But but I know for sure in basketball, there are, you know, years in which um, where there are obviously great players and, and great things that, you know, that are connected to things that happen later that are not that well known because, you know, just of whatever reason the NBA hasn't done well promoting its history there. Um, there are lots of reasons that, you know, that um, I don't want to necessarily uh, get into everything, but it, so I, I do think that there is just, there's more of a need, I think for, um, for basketball to um, sort of have an education campaign about its history to kind of, um, uh, so that there aren't um, players and there aren't time periods that are overlooked where I think that is less of a need in the other major sports. What do you think, Curtis? I mean, yeah, I mean, one of my previous answers kind of spoke to spoke to what you just said. It's just, um, yeah, the NBA has just done a poor job of uh, putting its history out there. Uh, you know, obviously, especially compared to MLB, but even compared to the NFL, 
Um, and I, I wish I could put my finger on why they haven't done it or why fans generally don't seem to really, really hold as much, um, uh, this, this may be just a bad impression on my part, but it just seems like the general fans don't really place a lot of importance on the history of uh, the NBA and basketball overall. Uh, but it might be just my bad impression of me being like, you know, in the, in the ivory tower of pro hoops yeah, history. But, uh, we're, we're kind of stops here. So, <laughs> you know, maybe we're not, don't have the best uh, thing. I, I was just, I was going to say, I, I do think that part of that is that there, and, I, and it may be more of a, it's probably less of a cause and more of a symptom, but there aren't really like the great records in basketball. Like the, 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 re, the numerical records that exist in baseball, I think is really the, the one where that is, you know, there's, there's the magic numbers there of, you know, 500 home runs and 3000 hits and all of that. And that doesn't really exist in, in basketball on a, you know, on a notable level. I think that just something like simple like that, I think illustrates the problem pretty well. Another thing I was thinking of was, um, this is kind of going different places, but one thing is, um, like NBA teams currently, like they for the most part, they haven't been in their cities compared to like uh, most of the N- well, a lot of the NFL and a lot of Major League Baseball. They haven't been in their cities for a really long time. Because um, like the, geez, I'm trying to think of like the only teams that have been in the place for like 50 years are well, the Bulls this year they hit 50, mm-hmm. uh, the Knicks, the Celtics, and I think. That might be it. We're coming up on a few more teams joining the club, but I think that might be it for teams that have been in one place for 50 years. Yeah. Uh, the 76ers, the 76ers, they got that too. Uh, but like that's pretty much it. Like other teams have kind of just moved around. Uh, yeah. Are the Pistons? And the Lakers, now that I think about it, but the Lakers, like they have a big chunk of their history in like Minneapolis. So like a lot of teams have their history stuck someplace else. So it's not like just this long, continuous, like grandfather, the son, the, or, grandfather to the son, the grandson, passing that knowledge down of, like, these, these are really great teams. Uh, whereas, like, baseball, like, in the 40s and 50s, like, it was already a huge sport. So, like, you know, you're, if you're growing up in the 60s then, like, your dad's going to tell you how great these teams are. And then when you have your kid in the 80s, like, you're going to tell your son how great it is. And now, if, you know, if you're born in the 80s, you're, you're having kids now, so you're going to be telling your kids kind of how great those teams were. So it's kind of, like, passes down the knowledge and the – there's less a history at that point, more of like a, a heritage of how great sports is. And uh, in a whole lot of ways uh, that we won't get into, heritage <laughs> is way more powerful than history. Uh, <laughs> but that's one problem that the NBA has, um, is that kind of issue. Um, and I, I forgot my other thing. I went so long on that one. But I had something else. It might come back to me. But right, that, that's right. one problem the NBA has. Well, I, and that's actually exactly what I was going to bring up, is that I, you know, I think a lot of it, you know, again, this is not really much of the Hall of Fame, more just about, you know, appreciating the history of the NBA and, and basketball in general. I think a lot of it could just be that, you know, it really hasn't been that popular for that long. You know, I, I think, Curtis, you brought that up. Exactly. I mean, baseball, you go back, there's people in the 20s and the 30s. and the, I mean, that, it's America's pastime. That's what they call it. Football itself, you know, we sort of now it's this gigantic juggernaut. But, you know, the NFL had its 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 popularity 
in the seventies and the I mean, it was it was there for a long time, and it's all it's exploded here in the nineties and the two thousands, of course. But it was still very popular then. The NBA, we look and and I think all of us can kind of say, you know, w- w- with good reason, yeah, it was kind of Magic and Bird when it became, you know, finally that thing that it was a cultural thing. The NBA finally became something that people, it, you you know, you could go to the water cooler at work and say, hey, did you watch this or did you see that or whatever. You couldn't really do that before that. So I do wonder if maybe we're going to talk about in another generation that maybe us, you know, when we start getting old and we we you know pass it down to our children or, or something like that, that maybe then we're going to get people that really revere history because, you know, I look at it from my perspective of, you know, I'm a, you know, I'm 29 right now. Um, you know, I've argued with my friends all the time about, oh, well, you know, then of course we all have this. It's if you're on basketball Twitter, you know, this of, well, this in the nineties was, it was better in the nineties because this, this, and this, or oh, I love the nineties. And you know, there's so there, a lot of people are stuck in like the eighties and the nineties and that sort of stuff. And we kind of look at it and roll our eyes sometimes about it, but that could be the first time when all those people really figured it out and became really like basketball became something important to them or the NBA became something that was truly important to them that they cared a lot about and that maybe this is going to continue on and continue on. And then in another generation, we're going to talk about people that again, I mean, of course, that's not all of basketball history and it's missing, you know, 50, 60, 70 years of, you know, the NBA and professional basketball as we know it. But I, I do wonder if maybe that's something that's going to improve here in the next generation because now it's, you know, there's so many people now that are just ingrained with the NBA in their life. And like, you know, me, I, I grew up and that's all I've, you know, it's my favorite sport. You know, it, I, I like baseball a lot. I mean, baseball is a, a, a big part of my life, but it's probably not near what, it, uh, you know, the NBA is. And the NFL, I don't care about whatsoever. It's the NBA because I grew up, you know, in that period. And, and I do wonder if that'll sort of stretch out later and maybe this will help this argument that we talk about of, of, of caring about the history a little bit more, but then also caring about, you know, a, a hall of fame and making it something that's, that's meaningful and something that represents, you know, our, our relationship to the history of the NBA or professional basketball. Yeah. And, and I think the, um, uh, the, the, the NBA has also had to deal with the issue of competing with college basketball so long in popular imagination yep. and, re- and really losing <laughs> that battle until the eighties and nineties. Um, and even, you know, college, um, I think is less important than the NBA overall, but still has the tournament, which is bigger than anything the, um, you know, NBA has. So, um, so it still wages that a little bit today. I, I think it's, it's <clears throat> overall probably higher on, um, planes. Certainly it stars, um, you know, are transcend anything in college basketball, the, you know, the, the very type top LeBron level, uh, Steph Curry guys. But, um, so I, I, and I think that probably, probably plays has shaped how, um, the um the basketball hall of fame has evolved and how and the kind of the reason that we have a little bit of this weird you know ratio of players versus coaches and contributors um is because you know is, is partly because of just the the influence of college and it's a little bit like it's easier to it's easier to amass a record in college if you're a coach than you are if you're a player so you, you know that, that which kind of explains why more coaches are in there than players really for their um I mean, there aren't really very many players um, pre 19, I'm sorry, excuse me, post 1950s who are there just for college achievement. I mean, usually they played in the NBA or another pro league. But um, but yeah, so I I think just that competition uh, of those things, I think that's kind of a major um, factor in, in what we're talking about. I'm not sure I should throw the theory out there because this is. well, you know, uh, you know, as, 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 no, do it, yeah, do it, you've already, do it. You've seen, uh, now you can't go. I mean, if you leave, everyone's going to ask what the theory is, anyway. So you got to. I mean, uh, you gotta uh, do hey, it. if you do hold up the podcast on it, uh, but no, the theory <laughs> is like um, 
we started talking about how the NBA wasn't really popular until Bird and Magic. I was thinking like, yeah, people really don't think a lot about like the 50s and the 60s and the 70s. And and I was thinking of like, what's the difference between the NBA and NFL and MLB? And it's like, oh, the NBA has a bunch of black people in it. So yep. Oh, you got it. I mean, that's <laughs> you're not wrong. You're like the the quote unquote popular imagination and remembrance of sports leagues. Um, the NBA has has kind of a, a hill to climb in the fact that you know most of its players are black uh, since the late '60s. And MLB has been majority white for forever. I mean, it still is. Um, NFL is like majority black now, but you know the the uniforms and the helmets kind of obscure um, the players on the field for for the most part. And the most identifiable player on the team is the quarterback, and you can see his face, and they're usually white. So, um, yeah, that's something to discuss further um, at a future point. But I, I think the let's call it identity. Um, a lot of people in America can't really identify with the players of the NBA, so maybe less of a connection on that front, and maybe that's what kind of stymied the NBA's popularity in the late 60s, 70s, and early 80s until finally, like, Bird and Magic got going, like, in the mid-80s to really help them take off. But just just, just a theory. Um, yeah, I, I think... No, you're, you're probably not yeah, wrong. I, I don't... <laughs> you're, you're very... Yeah. Yes. Um, so... Uh, one thing that the NBA has done, um, and, and we've talked about it a lot here on the uh, podcast, is the um, the the anniversary teams. The latest one being the 50 greatest players list on the – well, it's not really the 50th anniversary of the league, but uh, as we discussed before. But it is uh, what they consider the 50th anniversary of the league. So, uh, you know, is that a pretty good starting point if you're kind of considering a NBA um, Pro Basketball Hall of Fame? Uh, I mean, there are obviously – the NBA lists don't don't really include the contributions of the other leagues so well. So there's obviously issues there. But, you know, is that kind of their version of the Hall of Fame in a way, do you think? Yeah, I, w- I would say so. Like, Taken in conjunction with some of the the previous teams, like like the 25th and 35th anniversary teams, um, there's, there's mostly overlap between all three of them, but there's a few players on the earlier teams that got left out on the 50 list. Um, but... But yeah, for the most part, that is like a jumping off point. I think that's the NBA's uh, kind of just like gold standard of who the best players are. So obviously, I think if you had an NBA Hall of Fame, that's probably their go-to point as to where they're going to start at um, and inducting people in their Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. Yeah, wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily be my starting point, but um, yeah. it's yeah, not I'm a bad at- place to start, obviously. No, yeah, I think it's a fairly, you know, we talked about it before, but I think it's a fairly strong point. I wonder if they'll do a 75th anniversary um, team. I mean, that would be coming up in about about five years, I think. So um, it'd be interesting to see what kind of process they would um, they would do there. Um, so if we were going to have our um, our first class of 10, if we were going, if we're creating our own Hall of Fame and starting with our first class of 10, um, we, we all sort of made choices here as to um, who we uh, as to who we would want to pick for that team. Um, Curtis, we'll let you go first. All right. Well, for starters, I, I'll, uh, I think I cheated on this because uh, I'm doing like a pro basketball Hall of Fame. So, like, I included a bunch of people that weren't in the NBA. Um, but this is my editorial decision. So, I'm doing a pro basketball Hall of Fame, first inductee class. Um, I actually split it between individuals and teams because I think when you're putting in your first Hall of Fame class, I think you really want to think long and hard about it and try to 
really get the folks who kind of a, who establish like whatever whatever thing you're talking about in that hall of fame. Pick the people who really establish that uh, that subject. So like. Uh, I consider like the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in their first class. They didn't include the Beatles because they, they knew like the Beatles were not part of the first wave of rock and roll. Like uh, people might think they're the best rock and roll band ever, but that first Rock and Roll Hall of Fame class, they're like, we're not going to put the Beatles in there because we have to first acknowledge the guys that came before the Beatles that made the Beatles possible. So the Beatles came along in a second Hall of Fame class for that, but like the first Hall of Fame class had like Ray Charles and Chuck Berry and Elvis uh, and uh, other people in that, obviously. So I took kind of a similar track where, like, I didn't want to put in, uh, like, Julius Irving or Michael Jordan uh, because I thought, like, they came along and, like, they came along and, like, built upon what was already established. So my five individuals were George Mikan, Bill Russell. Uh, well, Mikan's pretty obvious, like, first big superstar of the NBA. Uh, I picked Bill Russell and Will Chamberlain. Uh, I think you needed both of them because, like, their rivalry in the 60s uh, gave the NBA whatever attention it got in the 60s. And I think that's kind of the the next foundation that was built for the NBA was by those two guys. Uh, then these other two individuals I picked because it helped to kind of kind of show, like, you know, the most popular league today is the NBA, but these two players kind of showed the, the, the twin leagues that made the NBA. So uh, I picked Leroy Edwards from the National Basketball League. Uh, he was the best player in that league's history, so I felt he was a good example to take out of them. And then Joe Folks from the uh, Basketball Association of America, uh, not the greatest player ever, but he was a pretty significant player. So I thought uh, he's the most significant from the BAA. So I thought he would be a good uh, representative for the BAA. So those five individuals kind of make up that side of it. Then on the other half, I thought it was really important to acknowledge like the really important pro teams that that existed before the NBA, because without those teams, we wouldn't have like professional basketball that became the NBA that we will have right now. So uh, the five teams were the Trenton Nationals, which are the very first professional basketball team from 1898. Uh, the Troy Trojans, which people say are the first dynasty in professional basketball. They played in the 19, uh, 19 teams, I guess you can say. Uh, then the original Celtics from the 1920s, uh, they're fairly famous as far as those teams go. And then the New York Renaissance and the Harlem Globetrotters, uh, both of them uh, African-American barnstorming teams. So I thought they were pretty important to include as well. So that's the first class of 10, five players, five teams. And then after that, I think it's free for all. Put in the people you think are best in order of what you think they should be in, in terms of importance. Um, I, I hadn't thought of, um, I, I like, um, I hadn't really thought about putting teams in to be honest and, and hadn't seriously thought about putting, um, you know, a pre, uh, NBLBAA, um, teams or individuals in there. Cause that's not, not really my area of expertise. So mine was more, but I, you made a lot of good points there. My, mine was more, um, NBA focused. It would definitely be a league that would, uh, you know, I consider the you know the NBL and BA are obviously predecessors to the um, to to the NBA and the NBL, as you've pointed out many times, was the uh, was the stronger league, and um, so I think each league should um, definitely would have contributors that would eventually be in the uh, in my uh, mythical NBA Hall of Fame, as well, of course, as the ABA. So um, my choices were um, Will Chamberlain, uh, Bill Russell, uh, Michael Jordan. Uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, um, 
Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, Oscar Robertson, George Mikan, uh, Shaquille O'Neal, and Julia Serving. Um, I picked Chamberlain Russell for similar reasons as as you did, and obviously Russell being the the greatest winner in NBA history, the driving force behind those Celtics teams. Chamberlain being an incredible star, uh, Mikan really being the you know the first pro star to kind of capture um, somewhat a public imagination. Jordan, I don't think I need to explain. So too much um, Kareem um, maybe having the best career of any um, pro basketball player. Plus, if you throw in college and um, and high school, maybe the uh, having the greatest career of any basketball player ever in terms of longevity and greatness and all those things. Uh, Magic and Bird, obviously, um, helping the uh, growth of the uh, of the league and being transcendent players. Uh, Oscar, I just, um, I've, you know, a, a do everything player, um, you know, I, I think maybe as far as just, if you consider all of the different skills of basketball of his time, you know, um, one of the greatest and most productive players, um, ever, um, I, I, I thought I, I tried to, um, you know, incorporate, more early guys than later guys, just because I I feel like you want to honor the earlier guys first. Um, and then I kind of consider the first eight guys is like almost must haves. Um, and then the last two I wasn't sure about, but I ended up picking Shaq and Dr. J. Uh, Dr. J, um, you know, a, another uh, transcendent um, do everything type player. I, also, you get the ABA in there as well. Um, you Good chance to honor the ABA because. Of course, he was the greatest player in uh, in that league, probably. Or, um, and then Shaq, I, you know, I, I thought um, having a a modern player, he's going to be eligible for the Basketball Hall of Fame this year. So I thought, um, and he would be a good choice for that. I, I thought this did a nice job of um, covering most of the eras of the actual NBA itself, and uh, you know, it was a a, a pretty well rounded list. Uh, and then mine, Jason, I'm, I'm fairly similar to yours as well. Of course, you know, my expertise is also not in, you know, the pre-NBA um, basketball. But I like Curtis, like you said about Curtis's list, I, I think it's a great idea as well. And that's why if I were to be if I was to come up with the Hall of Fame class, I think it'd be very important to have a group of historians in there as well edited with the media and all that sort of stuff of everybody sort of having equal weight as well. Cause I think that'd be important to get, you know, a list or, or, or get the, the candidates. Cause again, you need to have those people because a lot of people, there's just no memory of the NBA before for some before 1980. I mean, some, even we talk to people you know regularly that don't know much about the seventies. I mean, I'll admit, I don't know much about the seventies or the sixties. You, you know, and people that know much about the nineties, man, it's not terrible. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, it's a very yeah, like uh, more than any other. Yeah, it is. And again, before I get to my list, more than any other sport, because I talked to a lot of guys about baseball and stuff. Everybody knows, you know, old stuff. I mean, almost everybody that's a baseball fan at some point had a connection to the history of baseball. It's something like that. But yeah, you can you, you can find hardcore NBA fans who couldn't tell you a damn thing about, you know, 1987 of who the hell won the championship. 1987, who, you know, it's very yeah, it's, it's it's interesting in that way. And I guess it's also a young man's game in, in a lot of ways as well. So you get. Uh, that, but yeah, my class, um, similar to you, Jason, I have a lot of the same guys, uh, Wilt Chamberlain, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, uh, Magic, uh, Magic Johnson, uh, Michael Jordan, uh, Bill Russell, 
uh, Larry Bird, George Mikan, uh, Julius Irving. I had Julius Irving again. Uh, you, you had mentioned sort of a little bit of the ABA thing too. I think from a cultural standpoint too, I think it's important to have in there because I think he just he added a, a different element to the NBA and a lot of that carrying over from the ABA and carrying over some of the some of the flash and substance that you got in the ABA and bringing it to the NBA, which I think was is is a very big part of why they exploded uh, in the next uh, you know decades. Obviously, uh, then I added two other guys that are, again, like you said, I had like a solid eight, and then the last two I was like, ah, I don't really know exactly. Uh, but I put two guys who did some stuff, um, obviously Jerry West is one of them, who did stuff on the court, but also did stuff in the front office as well, which I think is an important thing to to, to do. And one of the things I do like about the Baseball Hall of Fame is there are a lot of those general managers, a lot of the owners, guys like that, which I think is important as well. The kind of the team building aspect of it, cr- creating teams, or, you know, being the general manager, doing that sort of stuff, I think is, is, is very important. And Jerry West, of course, when you combine you know, what he did on the court and what he did you know, uh, in, in the front office, I think he, he definitely works. And then Red Auerbach I put in there as, of course, the, arguably the greatest coach in NBA history and a guy that just absolutely just I feel like you can't have a, a, a basketball Hall of Fame or a pro basketball Hall of Fame or an NBA Hall of Fame without having Red Auerbach be one of the first few guys you put in there. But yeah, that's yeah. that's my top ten. And yeah, again, like a lot of the same guys uh, to you, Jason. Which I, I basically did it as who are the best of the best. But I really like Jason uh, Kurt, rather uh, Curtis's theory of sort of putting in that the, the the building blocks first, and then from then on going. Okay, now we can start. We have these guys now. Now basketball has been created. Okay, now we can go. Or no, and professional basketball has been created. Now we can go. I do like that as well. I think that's kind of a cool aspect. And, and using the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame um, sort of as, a, as an example, I, I really do like that as well. Though I, don't, I feel like more people are going to go to Jason and I's than are going to go to yours. But we're, we're trying to make money for this Hall of Fame. I feel like I'm just – no offense. I, mean, I would go to yours. But I, it's going to be you, me, and like 20 other people. But that's all right. No, it's, it's, that's a chronic problem with the historian's uh, profession. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'll wear my Trent Nationals jersey there, and we'll be uh, we'll, we'll have fun. Yeah. But that's it. Nice. <laughs> um, so we had a, a few questions um, on Twitter that I think will uh, provoke a little bit more interesting discussion. But uh, before that, um, is there anything that uh, anyone else wants to uh, bring up? Snubs. Um, I would have less problem with the snubs if I knew why people were voting the way they did. So this goes back to our earlier uh, conversation. It's just like things would be so much easier to take with this Hall of Fame if we knew who was voting for these people and why they voted for them. Because basically at this point, just like, why did, why did they not have Sidney Moncrief or, uh, or Bobby Jones in the Hall of Fame? Like, they, like at this point, you're just like, they just must hate Sidney Moncrief and Bobby Jones. Um, but, but, you know, I've cussed on this show before about Sidney Moncrief, so um, <laughs> this time I'll cuss about Bobby Jones. It's some bullshit that Bobby Jones is not in the Hall of Fame. Uh, because like he made, I think it's 10 straight, all defensive first teams, uh, two in the ABA and then eight in the NBA. It's like, if, if you think that defense matters at all in basketball, then there's like no way in the world that Bobby Jones shouldn't be in the hall of fame. Uh, so I think right now he's my most glaring snub since they've done a good job in recent years of getting in like artist Gilmore and Spencer Haywood. Um, but my other big snub is, uh, Bob Bandridge, who I've been championing for years. Um, he was another really good defensive player, but also really good on offense too. So, um, won a title with the Bucks and the Bullets back in the seventies, but, um, seventies was not a good time for great players like Jones and, uh, Bandridge. If, you know, you weren't like Julius Irving or, uh, playing in big New York city market or LA, uh, really not a good time for you. So those are two of my snubs. I got plenty more to think of. That's good for now. 
Yeah. Um, about, the, the thing about Bobby Jones is he played on some pretty important Sel- or uh, Sixers teams, you know, that were, you know, well known at the time. I mean, he, it's obviously not an era, you know, it, it was pre where things really took off, but he certainly wasn't in, you know, he, he'd be a guy who you'd think sports writers would remember and would, you know, celebrate because he's, you know, the kind of guy who, you know, stout defender made all the hustle plays. Um, uh, yeah, know, and, with, and he was white. It's just like, <laughs> like he's got all that going for him. It's like they still yeah. couldn't vote him in. <laughs> Maybe he's the one that they don't put in as, as sort of the example. Like, look, see? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Some white guys don't get into it. There you so. go. Yeah. <laughs> the only, only logical explanation. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's, yeah, he's the white guy that actually played hard and hustled and did all that stuff that he usually say. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. yeah, I love Bobby Jones, though. I, all said in good fun. Yes, yes. Um, Rich, is there anybody that you, um, that stood out to you as far as, um, being, you know, a ridiculous snub that, uh, that should have gone in by now? I, I pretty much everyone, the Moncrief is definitely mine. Yeah. Sydney Moncrief for sure. And I, I did mention at the top that it, like, when you look at the list, like in my mind, there's not like, and I'm sure Kurt, I mean, I know Curtis has, has hundreds, if, if not thousands. Okay. It's not thousands, but, yes. Okay. It's just, no, I'm just, but, but like for me, I, I look at the list and I go, okay, yeah, for the most part, I think this is a pretty solid list. There's not a ton of guys, but what I thought was kind of interesting and Curtis brought it up as well, without knowing how these guys really get in and, and, and what it takes to get in or whatever, I found it, I always find it interesting of looking at the basketball reference Hall of Fame, uh, probability stat and what they sort of look at as uh okay here's a guess of what it takes to get in or here's you know we're looking at the guys who are already in here's sort of an idea of what you kind of need to do to win and i think it's a really it's a fun little exercise to kind of look at that and it's always something that's really uh interested me but then you look at some of the numbers or like the guys like the, the the top guys there's three guys that are not in right now that are the highest hall of fame probability without getting in uh the top one is larry faust uh, second after that is Jack Sikma, and the third is Larry Costello. So I don't know what your guys' thoughts are on either of those three, but I always kind of find it interesting that it's like, you know, by the – and Larry Faust is like a 94%. Like if we use the standards that are created by the guys that are already in, like Larry Faust should just like walk in there. He should be no doubter. You know, Jack Sikma, 87%. Uh, Larry Costello is a 70%. Like these are, are very high probabilities that these guys could, should get in based off, you know, a lot of the numbers and a lot of the stuff that the guys who already are in – have but what do you guys think about either of those three do those scream like snub to you or is it just sort of a a thing where again you don't really know what it takes to be a hall of famer so it's like yeah these guys i mean by the standards that are there now yeah but like i don't really think so yeah i I don't know how i feel about either of those three to be honest um i definitely actually i have thoughts on all three of them um yeah so like larry faust he he's he's a curious one because like he there was maybe one season where you could have said he was like the best center in basketball. That was like 19, I think it was 54 or 55. Uh, but he was like, he made the all-star game, I think seven or eight straight seasons back in the fifties. So he's like, well, he's one of those players that was really good for a really long time, but was never like, you know, the, the, the best player in the NBA or like into argument for the best player in the NBA, except for like one year. Uh, that's probably why he's not in the Hall of Fame right now. It's just that he was really good for really long, but wasn't ever like the upper crust of the NBA, uh, except for like one season. Uh, Jack Sigma, I think, kind of similar story as Larry Faust, actually. Uh, really, really good for a really long time. Uh, but I think he has something going for him. The fact that he was a, and he was one of the first centers to actually take three pointers and be good at it. Uh, like in the late 80s and early 90s when he was with the Bucks, he actually started taking three-pointers. And I think one year he made like 35 or 36% of his threes, which is uh, was good for anybody back then. But like a center taking threes and making 35% of them was pretty damn good. Uh, those are good things he did. That's something notable. 
Uh, and Larry Costello, I say probably is very much on the fence in terms of just purely as a player. Uh, but if he'd say like everything you did for basketball counts for getting in the Hall of Fame, then Larry Costello would get in because he was a very good coach uh, with the Milwaukee Bucks. And uh, he got them to the finals twice and won the championship. So uh, if you're talking like total contribution, Larry Costello's a shoe in, I think. Uh, then the other two guys as players, I would say probably should be in. But as we've seen, like being really, really good for really long doesn't always get you in the Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just thought they were interesting names, and for that reason, that, that you know, using some of the standards of, of that they were that high on the probability, especially like a sigma at like an eighty percent, just that that struck me as very like just I, I was I was real shocked by that to be honest, and that that's just kind of why I go on to your thoughts. I don't know if I have strong thoughts on either three, but I just find that kind of interesting that you know the probability was so high for those guys. Yeah. Um. So I guess that's that that's worth one uh, a, a discussion. I mean, I I I. I think Sigmund Faust. I think I would. I would put in. Um, but it, it's sort of like I don't think either one's a slam dunk. But I think you can make pretty good arguments for uh, both guys and um, agree for Costello if you're kind of considering the whole career. But you like that, which I think sort of raises sort of a question of: Are we considering? I mean, are we considering just what they do as a player? Are we considering kind of the whole package? Are we, you know? Are there like, you know, players and, um, you know, and contributors? The uh, Hockey Hall of Fame is an, a team, a term I enjoy called builders that they have as far as their contributors, which I think is a nice term. But um, it, do we kind of just separate that or do we just kind of consider a person on their own merits and vote them in regardless of the reason why? I, like, do you do you like separating them or do you like kind of keeping it together? Or is there you know, does any of you guys have kind of a philosophy on that? Now, are you saying, Jason, of putting them in a sort of a separate area, or well, could you sort of consider them at the you know consider their merits? Uh, well, okay, here's here, here's combined. my point. Yeah, I, I don't think Larry Costello is probably a Hall of Famer as a player or as a coach. But if you combine mm-hmm. as a player and a coach, then okay, sure, I see okay. a Hall of Fame case. Um, I see what you're saying. Yeah, and I I do. I I would always do that, and that's a big reason why you know when I said my initial class, uh, a guy like Jerry West probably would not be in my initial class just based off. You know his playing career, though obviously a spectacular playing career. But I think a little bit when you add in the front office stuff, that I think adds it up. So no, I do think, and especially the NBA is one of the the leagues. Um, you know that MLB had this for quite a while, and NFL still has it to kind of an extent. But there's so many guys that are former players in front office positions, in coaching positions, doing that sort of stuff, which I think is really cool. So I think if you're gonna have a, a basketball hall of fame, you are gonna have to sort of say, hey, look, these guys, you know, they're gonna have to go in for both of those reasons. So no, I, I think so. I think it is it is certainly worse. Uh, certainly worth you know sort of combining coaching, front office, and playing careers when when you're talking about putting a guy in. I I, I do think you should do that. Yeah, I'm, I'm undecided. I see merits to both arguments. Um, I guess if I had to choose one, uh, I'm more of the inclusive type, so I would say have like the the playing career and the post playing career uh, add up towards your Hall of Fame case. So yeah, if I had to come down on it, that's how I would. Uh, do, how do we feel about um, Olympic or um, World Cup play being considered? Nah. Yeah, I'm kind of on the fact. <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of know. I think. Yeah, I don't know. I, yeah, I kind of. I, I I think there's some merit to it. I um I I'm more. I, you know, I, I mean, I, I, you see kind of how some players really stand out on that stage, like somebody like Ginobili or Pau Gasol or um. <clears throat> You know, Carmelo Anthony, maybe I, I don't know. I, I think it provides a different context. I mean, maybe you 
you would say like, well, they're they're not really doing that like enough where it it adds a whole lot. But um, I don't know. I I, I think it's worth. I, I don't mind including it. I I can see where maybe we wouldn't either. But I mean. Full disclosure, I hate the Olympics, so, um, (laughs) (laughs) um, yeah, they do have a FIBA Hall of Fame, though, so. Yeah, that's um, true. So that's that's good. So if, like, my hatred, like, overrides everything, they still can go to the FIBA Hall of Fame. Um, Or they go to the the college slash amateur, because, like, remember, the Olympics used to be amateur, so, um, I don't know. Yeah, I just don't like the Olympics. Uh, Sorry. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, all right, so we'll get to some um, we'll get to some some Twitter questions. Um, uh, uh, Jason Carmel Davis at CNG J Davis uh, asks about uh, dropping the five year rule. Um, you know who is a Hall of Famer and who isn't as soon as they retire. So, uh, what do you think of uh, that idea? Rich, we'll let you go first. Uh, sorry, can you do the question again? Uh, what, what do you think about dropping the five-year rule? Um, in terms of like, so, so hmm, you, you, did they say that? Did they say what an alternate was, or just just uh, no five-year I, rule? I, I think he's suggesting that you do it as soon as they retire. Oh no, no, I, 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 I think it, I would honestly have it be probably even a little bit longer. I, I, I hate the idea of like a guy retires and then the next year they're in a Hall of Fame. I like a little bit of a, a time to let it sort of settle, let their career settle, let people sort of look at their career, research it. No, I, I I'm fine with the five year, and I would even probably make it even a little bit more. I, I don't think because then again, like you know, and, and I'm sure I, I don't know what Curtis's thoughts are, but I think he'll agree that you know then there's this sort of I think if there's a one year like immediate people are going to focus on those guys when it really should be more about okay who are guys from the history. Let's do a little bit more research and not worry about the because right, I, I feel like when those guys retire you're going to want to get all those guys in right as soon as possible where I, I think it's just better to have it stretch out so no I would not get rid of the five year rule at all yeah I, I agree with a lot of Rich said um, and actually we got kind of the opposite problem where they're not inducting people till they're dead um, so <laughs> right. like it's, it's good to have the five years to kind of marinate and like really soak in how good a player was or a coach was uh, but yeah, I think the bigger problem is they wait a little too long sometimes. So I like the five-year waiting period, but then it's like, all right, once the five years are up, at that point you should be pretty much decided on on whether somebody's getting in. It's um, like, oh yeah, I'm 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 also in favor of that. I, I get in that argument all the time about the baseball yeah. hall of fame. Is I'm almost in favor of of you know, and and you could obviously have to work with the limits or whatever. But yeah, when those guys are up, you vote for them. If they don't go in, they're done. Like so, decide. Okay, are you are these guys Hall of Famers or not? Because it's a it's the lingering that always because that'll happen in the baseball Hall of Fame too. These guys will linger on the ballot for ten, you know, twelve years or whatever, and then they're dead by the time it's time to get them yeah. in. It's like, yeah, I mean, nothing changed. Tim Raines didn't get better or worse this past year. I mean, there is there is the opportunity to do more research, but I think now more than ever in 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 how we are, you know, a society and how we can get information, it's never been easier to find out. Okay, is this guy a Hall of Fame or not? Let me decide this year because if not, he's uh, I'm not gonna be able to do it ever again. That's what I would honestly do. Maybe not the five year rule, but just have it be one and done. If you're on, you're on. If you're not, sorry, you, you know you're, you're kind of done. And guys can come back if you know a ton of research comes out and people go, "Oh my god, I have new facts on on this guy or whatever. I have new facts on this team or something like that." Then maybe put them on. But yeah, the linger is where I just kind of lose s- some interest. And that's in all Hall of Fames. That's you know pro wrestling Hall of Fames, basketball Hall of Fames, anything like that. It's always this like linger period that some guys do. And yes, I am one of those people that cares about a pro wrestling Hall of Fame. So yeah. Um- yeah, <laughs> I'm not, not the WWE Hall of Fame. For the record, if people are curious, not the WWE Hall of Fame. Wrestling was ever Hall of Fame. Okay, I'm done. Yeah, I'm not as draconian as Rich. Uh, like, I'm actually just, um, 
I think I haven't fully thought through the consequences of this idea yet. So uh, if it's terrible in the end, forgive me. But I think uh, voters should be able to just vote for like as maybe not as many people, but a whole lot of people they think belong in the Hall of Fame. Like mm-hmm. if they think like you know if there's like ten eligible people that that person thinks belong in the Hall of Fame, just let them vote for all ten. And if one year there's zero people, they're like, well, no one fits the bill. Zero. Um, I'm with you. Yeah. So like, and if you don't make it. First year, I don't think you should like be put on the like taken off the list forever. But I think it's like eh, if you don't get in the first two years, uh, I think it's pretty obvious that you probably don't deserve to be in. But uh, to take you off the list completely, I think that leads to some errors because people do some stupid things. Like artist Gilmore had to wait around forever, and they needed to put up sure. like, a special committee. That's why they made the ABA committee was really just to get artist Gilmore in the Hall of Fame. Um, so yeah, people do stupid things, so you got to have safeguards for that, though. Uh, I'll give them three years. I'll give you three years then. All right. All right. There we go. Compromise. <laughs> but yeah. I'm, I'm right with you on the, the have as many people as you want on it as well. I think that's important, and I think that's something that really stifles the, the Baseball Hall of Fame. Including, I mean, right now is a perfect time period where that's really stifling it is because there are, you know, for most cases, you can make an eligible case for about 14 guys right now, but there's guys that are on the outside looking in because I can only do 10. So sorry, like that's all I can do. So I agree. If there's a year that, that you want to vote 15, 20 people or whatever, you want to vote 10 in and uh, 12 or whatever. Yeah, I, I'm totally in favor of having that list be a, as long as you want it to be. Yeah, I, I mean, there are some practical concerns about, you know, just having such a bloated induction class, it kind of. It makes it hard for, um, you know, just for anybody to stand out individually. But I mean, you can work around that. I'm, you know, I, I I agree that I'd rather like I'd rather not set arbitrary limits on who you can number people you can vote for and then keep people out. Um, I, I do think like I see both sides of your point, Rich, about the idea of knocking someone off, you know, immediately or at least after a few years. But I I mean I do think like in a case like Tim Raines who by the way, happens to be my favorite baseball player of all time. Um, who I grew up, um, not quite worshiping, but liking a lot. Um, I had four posters of him in my, in my room, for example. Um, I think, um, like the, 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 the process, like him being allowed to kind of linger on the ballot for a number of years helped build momentum for him to, you know, finally get to a point where there's a decent chance that he's going to uh, be able to uh, make the Hall of Fame. So, um, so I, I like it, I guess, in that case. Now, I guess I would like it better if like people just voted for him the uh, first time and um, and and let him, um, you know, and and just put him in. Maybe if you don't, you know, if you don't have the choice of letting somebody linger, maybe you just pull the trigger faster on that stuff. But I do think like sometimes it's good to have someone who's on the ballot for. A handful of years, maybe not 10, but maybe like five. And it does offer additional time to study their career, to kind of consider their legacy, consider their importance, do more research on on what they did and what they accomplished, especially, you know, in, in basketball sake, where we're kind of, you know, that there's new ways that we're able to sort of look at the game. There's new stats, there's new approaches. And, you know, we, we can still kind of learn information from you know, the past, um, some of the, we don't necessarily have some of the data for, um, the older players, but I do think that there is, there are still opportunities, especially for periods that aren't that well explored for us to sort of, for, to change minds. And that usually takes, you know, kind of a number of years for the momentum to kind of get going on something like that. So let's see, um, George Hassett Jr. at 
uh, BOS Crime Writer asks, do Bill Walton and Ralph Sampson get in your new hall? And I think it's, it's kind of interesting because that's another one where it's kind of like a, for them, I think it's just a mix of their college and pro careers. And in the regular Basketball Hall of Fame, they're definitely in. And, and Walton would, you know, be in a a, a pro Hall of Fame as well, I, I think, um, with despite his lack of longevity in the pros just because of his excellence when he was on top. Um, but uh, Curtis, what do you think? Uh, Ralph Sampson, nope. Bill Walton, yes. Uh, in a pro basketball hall of fame. Uh, I'd be the same. Okay. Same, same list as well. Okay. Uh, cause I, I'm with Curtis. I, I, I am going to split it if I'm going to do anything. Um, I, I just, I don't like the idea of mixing the two. Yeah. So yeah, I, I would split them. So, yeah. and if I would go with that split, then yeah, Samson, no, but Walton, yes. Yeah. So is it just because you don't want to include college in there? Because, because we, you know, we're kind of in favor of including, you know, playing coaching executive stuff in the pros, but but the playing in college just I just think it's a whole different animal. I just think the sports just I, I to me, I just I don't like the mixing of amateur and pro. I just I just think they're they're, they're different worlds completely. Um, I, I don't know. I can't really put a, a, a finger on exactly what it is. It's just something just feels weird about mixing them in, in a Hall of Fame. I don't know why. Yeah, no, I think it is to be separate. Yeah. There's just. It's just, just the way the game is played in both of them, and the rules don't align uh, for a really long, like a really long time. The rules are just way different. Uh, even still today, they're substantially different. So, um, and just the length of the schedules and between the both of them, and um, it, yeah, like yeah, totally different. They should be different Hall of Fames. Okay. Um. Let's see. Uh. So. Um. Uh. Oh, um, Jason Palumbo at Double Dribble WP uh, talks about uh, Bill Simmons, of course, in his um, book of basketball, has suggested Hall of Fame levels in a pyramid. Because um, I know you're not really a big fan of of that idea. Um, can you talk about that a little bit? Uh, you briefly cut out a second, right? A very important word. Did you say I was a fan or not? You, 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 are, you are not a fan is my understanding. <laughs> Okay, yeah, like you cut out exactly like Curtis. I know you're a <laughs> fan, and I was like, what? all right. So, um, yeah, no, the pyramid. That's a gimmick. I don't like the pyramid idea. That's just like Bill. Like, it's not like ill toward Bill Simmons. It's just that Bill Simmons, like, he he's a man that likes gimmicks. Um, and it's like, I just I can just see him sitting there thinking, like, what a great idea. We have like this pyramid, and people just slowly rise up in this pyramid to like the upper echelon. Um. Like, no, we don't need a pyramid system. It's like if somebody belongs to the Hall of Fame, they belong to the Hall of Fame. Like, we shouldn't be, uh, like, putting people in different compartments based on, like, how worthy they how worthy they were to be in the Hall of Fame. Um, what, what would be much more productive is just to be like, here's the Hall of Fame, like, literally the Hall of Fame. Like, you know, go see all the different people that were inducted. And then elsewhere in the Hall of Fame complex, you have, like, exhibits on display. So, like, uh, one year you have, like, something on – I don't know, fantastic dunkers. So you have like Julius Irving and Michael Jordan and Dominique Wilkins and Connie Hawkins. Damn, and that's up like, all right, been a couple of years, let's get a new exhibit. Uh, let's talk about three-point shooters and they have stuff on those people. Uh, but I think it's ridiculous to have like a permanent pyramid system where people are just like walking up to a different level and seeing different players. Like, this is like, what the hell is the point of that? And just pr- practically speaking, like, who the hell wants a Hall of Fame that's built like a pyramid? This is just ridiculous on all <laughs> kinds of levels. I like uh, the Luxor in Las Vegas. Would it be similar to that? I mean, 
I like pyramids. I mean, well, that, that thing with Bill Simmons. <laughs> he, he liked the gambling aspect of that. So. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, if you need to store some grain in somewhere, you might as well put it in a pyramid, you know? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I'm 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 pro pyramid, but not 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 Bill James pyramid. Pro like actual pyramids. But all right, fair enough. Um. <laughs> So, um, let's see. Um, so, uh, Corbin A. Smith, uh, asked, or, or, uh, oh, this should be good. Made, made, no, he made a point. It wasn't a question, but it, <laughs> okay, oh. it was, that was actually a serious question. Um, oh, I'm not really a question, but more of a, um, I, I, I think I had said, you know, we're talking about creating an NBA only. Hall of Fame, and he says he thinks it's a bad idea because it would necessarily exclude women, Euros, and, and college coaches. Um, I don't know if the college coaches part is a joke, but I do think that like there is sort of there's there's a negative part of if we're creating a new Hall of Fame that it is taking away from um, this Big Tent Hall of Fame where. You know, I mean, we obviously we talk about the program not being celebrated or aspects of it not being celebrated as they should. But definitely there's a lack of spotlight on, you know, other aspects of the game, women's basketball as well, um, international basketball that aren't as well known. And if you take if you create an NBA Hall of Fame, that's definitely taking a lot of attention away from um, those aspects of or potentially takes um a lot of attention off the other aspects of the game that deserve celebration as well. I mean, I, I, one thing I do actually like about the basketball hall of fame is sort of the, I do actually like the big tent um, goal of it, of just being this, you know, this, all these celebrating the game at all these different levels. Cause one thing that I think is neat about basketball is that it is, um, you know, it, it, there, there's a thriving women's game. It's played, you know, all across the world. It's one of the most popular ga- games across the world. It's a game that's thrived in cities and in, in rural areas. I mean, it, there's just so many ways it's developed in so many like small laboratories and all these different, you know, subcultures of um, basketball. And that's really cool thing about it. The problem with the, the, the Naismith Hall of Fame is that it just hasn't really, you know, um, put the pro game quite at the you know the level that I would personally like it to being a basketball snob who likes the pro game the best. So, but what do you guys think of the idea of, okay, creating this is cool, but then you're um, taking away from these other things. Well, I mean, this is, I mean, I, I like in graduate school, I, I studied like museums and what was public history and public memory and all that. So this is a discussion that every museum or hall of fame has is like, what are you including? And then by including certain things, what are you excluding by only including like a certain, certain area? Um, so that's why earlier I said, like I would do a pro basketball hall of fame, mm-hmm. not a NBA hall of fame. Cause like, this is part of the reason why, because if you did just an NBA exclusive hall of fame, you do lose a lot. Uh, but if you do a pro basketball hall of fame, that still gets you the, the non NBA professional leagues. The, you know, which includes all the women's leagues and uh, a pro basketball hall of fame, but also include like the barnstorming teams, uh, which also a lot of women were in barnstorming teams. And the same goes for the amateur hall of fame or the collegiate hall of fame that I would say also needs to be around because that could also include women as well. So um, the international stuff I'm less worried about. Uh, I don't think, like I said, we have, they have the FIBA hall of fame. So I think that that's good enough for the international players unless they obviously play in college or in the pros in, in North America. 
Um, and this is also why I think it's really good to have a really robust museum at any Hall of Fame is that you can do like special exhibits on like, hey, these are really great international players that you should also know about. But the International Hall of Fame or the FIBA Hall of Fame should be wherever the hell it is right now, probably in Switzerland. Um, sorry, that sounded really dismissive. Uh, wherever it is, it should be really, really good. Uh, I hope it's fantastic wherever it is. But uh, it deserves its own place. Professional basketball in North America deserves its own place. And then, like, college basketball in North America deserves its own place. Uh, those should include women and men in each one of those Hall of Fames. Like, I don't think the – uh, the gender thing should be separated. I think women should be very much acknowledged at the forefront because uh, basketball was invented in December 1891. Women were playing basketball by January 1892. So, like, they've been there right from the very beginning along with men. They should not be separated out in any of these Hall of Fames. And, and I agree. And that's why I would I would do similar to what, what Curtis did is have a professional basketball Hall of Fame. And that, that would include, you know, WNBA and then beyond uh, the, the many, many other um, women that have been in professional sports. And also just, um, yeah, I, I think that's how I would sort of combat that problem and, and, and make it a, an equal, you know, side of a Hall of Fame. As far as like international, I, I don't know. I don't really care that much, to be honest. Yeah. Um, I, I, I mean, I, I, yeah. I like that. I, I mean, I think I'm fine with a more of a, okay, we have exhibits and we have a, you know, w- the museum part of it covering that. And it, it may not be as big of a part of the actual hall itself um, um, of the members of the Hall of Fame. But mm-hmm. I but I do think, um, you know, the, the, the more you can celebrate, the cooler things you can d- dig into, the, the better. But um, – I mean, there, as we mentioned um, earlier, there are separate Hall of Fames covering all of these different things um, where, you know, pro basketball doesn't necessarily have its own. So that so there would be some um, benefit there. But obviously um, you and I, I like Curtis, how you brought up, you know, I, I'm, you know, it, it, it seems obvious, but you when you make a choice like this, you you know, you're you are necessarily making a step to in, in to exclude um and even though you want to celebrate the game and you know weighing all these things it's um it, it's an interesting debate for sure so um anyone else have anything to uh to to add before we uh close up shop uh no i don't think i have anything i i, I would just say that even though i prefer to have the pro and amateur and the fiba hall of fames all separate and all that um, I have no problem. Like, I would not be upset if they continued to have an all-inclusive Hall of Fame, as long as they did a good job with the all-inclusive Hall of Fame, which I don't think they're doing right now. Um, so, yeah, that's my final thought. Uh, whatever Hall of Fame they choose to do, please just do it well. Um, and currently, I don't think that's the case, So, un- unfortunately. Um, really could use a more robust Hall of Fame and museum they have there in Springfield, but... Um, that could be a whole other podcast just talking about the actual building and what they do in that building because it is not great. Uh, but anyways, my last, that's my last thought. All right. Well, um, Curtis, thank you uh, so much for uh, joining us again. We are uh, always a pleasure to have you on the show. You always, uh, you always teach me something at least um, many, many somethings usually. So, um, so, so thank you for that and for all that you do. Is there anything that you want to, uh, let people know if they, uh, to where they can follow you or anything you want to tell them about that you're doing? Um, let's see. Oh, uh, let's see. I'll, let's see. Uh, over the Christmas break, um, I did get something put up on the daily beast about 
um, how James Naismith um, invented basketball as partly in opposition to football, how violent football was and is. Uh, so that's really interesting. You, you guys can Google that. Um, and also, I'll be starting in February, contributing like um, hopefully weekly. We'll see how much time I actually get around to it. But at least every other week, uh, a history article to Sporting News. So, um, oh, that's cool. Yeah. So, and, and in addition to my regular website, that'll still be up and running. But um, the plan is to have an article at least every other week for Sporting News, just on some random. NBA history, basketball history happening, whatever crosses my mind. So uh, that's what I got coming up. Cool. Um, and you can, of course, uh, follow us at Over and Back NBA on Twitter and Facebook. And uh, we're, you can, our website or, or our podcast, rather, can be found at the website harborparoxysm.com. We are part of the HP uh, Podcast Network. You can find our podcast either on our own um, Over and Back feed or on the HP Network feed. Either way, love it if you subscribe, give a rating and or review. I let people know that we're great and we are great. So the more that we get that recognition for the people, the uh, more that other people can check us out and think that we're great. So, um, yeah, um, until next time, thanks for listening and we'll be back again soon. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.